Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Hey, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Josh. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here and really glad you'd be with us today. Welcome to all of you joining us online too. Really glad you're with us. And uh, we are working our way through the New Testament book of Acts. The Bible is just a a book full of books, full of letters and stories and and other things that are written, a lot of different purposes. And, and, uh, we're studying the New Testament book of Acts together. And so maybe you're familiar a little bit, you've heard of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of Jesus' life over about 30 years. Well, Acts tells the next 30 years after Jesus' life as the church gets going and things get started and Jesus continues his work in and through his people. And so we've been on this journey kind of working through the book and uh, maybe you're new with us today or maybe uh, you just, you've missed a few. So I want to set you up again really quickly where we're at in the story. There's a guy named Paul who comes to faith in Jesus and he goes about starting new churches and he takes a couple different journeys, actually three, where he goes about planting churches, starting churches. And we're in the midst of his second journey. It started in Syria in a little town, not a little town, but a town called Antioch. And he worked his way across, this is modern day Turkey, just for reference. And he gets all the way over to the west side of Turkey to the port city of Troas. Along the way, he picks up a young guy named Timothy to join him. A guy named Silas is with him the whole time. And in Troas, he also meets a doctor by the name of Luke who ends up joining him on this journey. Well, as he's not sure where to go next, Paul has a dream and God reveals to him a man in this dream from Macedonia across the Aegean Sea saying, hey, come bring the gospel here to us. And so Paul takes that as God's leading. They all do and they hop on a ship, they sail across the sea and end up in a city named Philippi. In Philippi, things start off good, but then don't go so great as Paul is beaten, stripped, thrown into prison. And then he leaves town And he heads west and he goes down to the city of Thessalonica where pretty much the same thing happens. And uh, he finds himself people threatening his life where he's accused of treason. And so they usher him out of town and he goes to a, a city named Berea only to find out in Berea, they just followed him there with more chasing him and trying to take his life. And so they send him out at night and probably put him on a ship where he sails down through uh, the sea to the city of Athens, which is where we were last Sunday. Athens is a city of, of thought and philosophical cultural influence, kind of a university town. That was Athens. Well, after Athens, Paul leaves for the city of Corinth in Greece. And that's where we're at in the story today, Paul in Corinth. So 
With that really quick flyby to bring you up to speed, let me pray, and then we're gonna be with Paul in the city of Corinth today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you're uh, our encourager, our hope, our savior, and uh, Holy Spirit, I pray today uh, that you'd be our encourager and our helper. Encourage us from one another, encourage us as we go about your mission, what you've called us to do. Encourage us yourself through your word. And uh, Holy Spirit, uh, teach me, even as I teach and speak through me, uh, that we can understand the words you've written, apply them to our lives, and leave encouraged and exhorted to do your will. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you got your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament, uh, starting in chapter 18. And in chapter 18, we read this right away. Uh, after Paul left Athens, or after this, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. After this, all the things that Paul had been through, all the things that had been happening in his life, he takes off about 50 miles west to the city of Corinth. I'm not going to say too much about Corinth today because next week uh, there's letters in the Bible that Paul writes to some of these churches he started. And so next week we're going to go look at the letter he writes later back to the church here in Corinth. And I'll tell you more about Corinth there. But let me just tell you at this point, it's a huge city. 650,000 people, which is massive for that day and age. If Athens was a center of cultural thought and philosophical thought, Corinth is really a center of commerce. And just, it, it, it's no uh, exaggeration to say that Corinth and probably Ephesus, of all the cities Paul goes to, are probably the two most influential in his journeys. And he hasn't been to Ephesus yet, but we'll get there. But rather than talk much about Corinth today, I want to dive in a little bit to Paul. Think about all the places he'd been. I gave you the quick flyby, but he had been, you know, beaten, stripped, thrown into prison. He had been chased. His life had been threatened. He ran away in the middle of the night to avoid all these things. He's all alone. Nobody else is with him. They had all stayed back. I wonder, I, I, I would venture to say, Paul was probably in need of some encouragement. Don't you suppose? I mean, would you be? People were chasing you down and you took off. Maybe even today as you came in, you're in need of some encouragement. And so that's what I want to look at today because I think what we see in, in Paul's journey here to Corinth is ways that he's encouraged and some ways for you and for me to be encouraged, part of how God has designed things to work. And the first thing, I'm going to give you three, the first way we find encouragement is from one another. If you're just in a spot where you're like, I just, I need some encouragement. I mean, things are hard. It's been a long journey. Like people aren't after my life, but they're after my reputation or they're after this. And it's hard right now. You're probably in need of some encouragement like Paul. Well, um, one of the ways we find it is from one another. Let's go back to the text here. I'll show you what I mean. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And while he's there, he found a Jew named uh, Aquila. Uh, he was a native of Pontius. And he had recently come to Corinth from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius is the emperor at this time. 
And we're not really clear. The Bible doesn't tell us why Claudius told all the Jews to leave Rome. But there is another historian who writes a biography of Claudius's life. And in his biography, he writes this from that day and age. Uh, he writes about these Jewish riots and upheavals that were happening between strict Jews and followers of Jesus in Rome. And rather than sort through everything that was going on, Claudius just said, I don't really have time for all that. And he just ordered all of them to leave the city. And so Aquila and Priscilla are part of that crew. They've been uh, made to leave Rome where they had set up shop. Well, Paul finds them. And then after he finds them, he went to see them. I'm guessing maybe he found Aquila because, uh, well, look at the next line. They were of the same trade. They did the same thing for a living. You know, this is the only time in the text where we're told, we're told multiple times, you know, that or Paul references the fact that he works for a living besides just doing ministry. That he's kind of bivocational, but this is the only time we're told exactly what he does, that he's a tent maker. Because they were of the same trade. They were tent makers by trade. Now a tent maker, uh, the early leaders of the church when they wrote after Paul, uh, all agreed they called Paul a leather worker. So it's likely then that Paul made things out of leather and by saying that he was a tent maker just meant that that was the best thing he made. You know, so maybe he made, or at least this specialty, you know, he probably made wallets and maybe bags and saddles and all kinds of other stuff. But if you really wanted something good from Paul, get a tent. Like that's what he did. And he and Aquila and Priscilla, they're all, they're tent makers by trade, which kind of makes a lot of sense because Paul's always traveling and the tools you need to work with leather you, don't, you can carry them on your back pretty easily. I mean, he needs a couple different types of knives and an owl to be able to punch the leather and sew it. And so he carried all these things with him. But think again here about Paul. He's there in a place where he's from, uh, he grew up in a little town called Tarsus over in Turkey. And he's been running for his life multiple times. And now he finds himself in Corinth. And while he's there, he finds a man by the name of Aquila. And then he goes farther to seek him out and ends up at his house. He goes to see him. Here's Paul. Here's where Paul's from, from this little city of Tarsus. There's Corinth. Here's where Aquila grew up, Pontius. Here's where he came from over in Rome, and he made his way to Corinth. Paul's in this city in this other region of the world and he meets somebody from the same region he grew up in who's of the same trade as him. Who believes in Christ like him? In a city far from home who's been chased out of places like him. Paul found his people. That's what happens with Paul here. He found his people. Paul found people who were like him. You know, I would encourage you, if you're gonna grow and you wanna be encouraged, one of the ways we're encouraged is from one another. And that, I would just encourage you like Paul, find your people. Here's what I mean. I mean, let's look at this again. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, from where he was from. He had just come from Italy because he got kicked out of town by Claudius. And they were of the same trade, so they stayed together and worked together and did life together. You know, um, 
Paul didn't sit around, did he, waiting for people to come to him, which he could have easily done. Think of the ways he had suffered. There's times where he's been beaten and, and they thought he was dead. <laughs> it would have been easy coming to this new city all by himself to just kind of sit back and, oh man, I hope they don't find me here too because they had chased him down to other places. But instead, Paul ventures out and he finds people. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius. He runs into him as he's out and about. And eventually after getting to know him, he, he goes to even see them. He seeks them out again and ends up staying with them. And I would contend that Paul didn't sit around, but he took some initiative. Friends, let me encourage you, be like Paul. And if you want to be encouraged, because God encourages us through others, it's going to take some initiative on your part. It just is. You know, it's not that um, uh, maybe people don't care, but maybe they don't see. And so you have to take some initiative for them to come toward you, don't you? It's easy to have friends. It's really hard to be a friend. It's really hard sometimes, I get it, to put yourself out there when you don't feel like it. I mean, think about Paul. Maybe like him, you've been suffering and you don't feel like it. That makes sense, I get it. But take some initiative. Um, maybe when you're down and don't want to. I get that too. You know, I've shared with you, but in the past, I've, there's been seasons of my life where, where I have, I've just struggled with some deep depression. And still my nature, generally speaking, is to be kind of melancholy. You know, maybe I'm up here smiling, but if I'm by myself, if I'm not careful, I can get stuck in my stinking thinking. And unless I take some initiative and put myself out there, even when I don't feel like it, I stay stuck. And it's not that no one cares, it's that no one knows, no one sees. There's no opportunity for him to care. You know, every one of us, we've suffered, we've been down, we've had those moments where we just don't feel like keeping going or keeping trying, but let me encourage you, be like Paul. Take that initiative because your heart depends on it. It does. And, you know, let me tell you too, if, if uh, uh, we see, if as a church, if it'll ever feel like home and like family, because that's what we are, we're family, you've got to take some initiative to connect with other Christians, don't you? Not necessarily with me. Not necessarily with Pastor Dave. Not necessarily with another leader but with each other, with each other. And that's what I think Paul was doing here. He was taking some initiative. He found people he could connect to. He put himself out there. He probably didn't feel like it. You know, so I thought this is a good opportunity for us just to talk really briefly again about what's our strategy as a church? Like, how do we go about Ministry. How do we, how, what's the pathway to help people grow at a really high level? Well, 
we would say we want to see everybody do three things, right? Here's the first one. We want you to gather, to show up and gather regularly with us on a Sunday morning. So all of you in the room, check number one. You got that one down. Good work. Give yourselves a hand. Way to go. We want you to gather together. And uh, it's an important thing because there's something about when we're together, it encourages one another. When we take communion, usually that's the first Sunday each month we take communion together. Common unity, it's an encouragement of our shared faith together. But do you have mornings you don't feel like coming? Can I confess something? So do I. I'm just going to be honest. But whether there's a paycheck involved or not, I still go, right? Like when we're on vacation, we go to church. Because it's important to gather and be encouraged. It is. And let me just take this opportunity, those of you watching online, I'm really, really glad that you are. And some of you, you're maybe just checking us out, and that's great. I'm glad you are. Some of you, maybe you're sick or you're not feeling well or you're just unable physically to get here. Totally get that. That's fine. Um, but there's some, and here's who I'm talking to. Uh, you, you're just not coming because it's work and it takes some initiative. And let me encourage you to take some initiative. You know, the online is really kind of the front porch, the front door to the church. It's where people can kind of come hang out, check us out, see what's going on. But if you're family and you're just hanging out on the porch, we want you here in the living room because we love you. And there's something about gathering that as you initiate in that way, uh, it's gonna bring encouragement to you. So I encourage you, join us. Well, the, you know, Hebrews 10 speaks to this and toward this end, the writer of Hebrews says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let's not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. He, he ties the fact that when we meet together, we encourage one another. It's important to meet together especially now that the day of his return, Jesus' return, is drawing near. Let me just tell you, that's a whole nother sermon, a whole nother series. Like we could pull out some headlines and open up some prophecies and go, ooh, okay, that's interesting. All the more we need to gather and encourage one another, don't we? So let me encourage you to take some initiative, keep gathering, keep doing it, even on the days you don't feel like it. And you can just think to myself, oh, I wonder if Josh feels like it today. You can pray for me that I will, right? Hey, here's the second one. Um, grow. Don't just show up. We want you to grow up spiritually. And by that, what we mean is that it's another step of taking initiative, of connection, of, of connecting in a life group. That's the primary way or connecting in another growth ministry like Forge or like Thrive. And we're just saying, hey, pick one of those and connect in at least one. Find a place though besides on Sunday morning where you're connecting and growing because you need one another to encourage one another. All of us need each of us and each of us need all of us to grow. 
And then the third thing is we want you to go. Now that doesn't mean we want you to leave. It just means we want you to go give and serve somewhere. In other words, again, contribute and initiate. Contribute as a friend as much or more than you consume. It's easy to consume, isn't it? I mean, that's just our nature. That's easy for me. It's hard though when those arrows start going out to contribute and to invest. And it's risky. But let me encourage you to go for it and do it. And uh, the church will never feel like family until you do. You find encouragement from gathering together and, and doing ministry together. Go. You know, and that's really the second thing. We find encouragement from each other, but we also find it from pursuing God's mission together because he's given us things to do. I think we see that in Paul as well. Let's keep reading. Uh, and he reasoned with them in the synagogue every Sabbath. So Paul gets there, and again, all the things that had happened, it'd be easy for him to just stay on the sidelines and say, oh, I'm done. I've been burned too many times. I'm not doing it. But he gets engaged, doesn't he? He keeps going about his ministry. He reasoned in the synagogue every weekend, and he tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. He kept doing it. And then look, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. He hadn't seen these guys in probably months. He had left them back in Thessalonica and Berea, and now they're here. I'm guessing that had to be a huge, huge encouragement to Paul. In fact, when he writes in Philippians, he talks to the church in Philippi. At the end of Philippians, he says, you are the only church that sent stuff for me. Like you supported me. With, with gifts. Well, those gifts probably came with Silas and Timothy. But what's really interesting to me here is as Luke writes this stuff, he really doesn't spend any time talking about how big of an encouragement Silas and Timothy would have been to Paul. Because when they show up, what Paul, what's Paul doing? He's busy, he's occupied with the word. He's already taken some initiative to seek out some friendship and seek out some community and it's, it's playing itself out in him still going, isn't it? Not that they weren't an encouragement, but I think if, if he hadn't done that, I bet you Luke writes a whole lot more about their encouragement to him showing up. And he goes about it. He's testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Well, um, that was kind of Paul's MO. Like he just always went to the synagogue. He's always talking about Jesus. He's always having these conversations. He just keeps doing it, even on the days he probably doesn't feel like it. And the other thing though, uh, sometimes Paul had good success, but a lot of times he did have some hardship, didn't he? See, there's encouragement doing ministry together, but the truth is it can also be pretty hard Look at this, verse six, and when they opposed and reviled him, he still faced some opposition in it. It wasn't just, you know, all roses from there on out and encouragement. It was still hard. It was hard work. But he still had encouragement from going about God's mission. I wonder, are you pursuing God's mission? Are you doing it with other people? Like side by side, gather, grow, and go? Let me encourage you, plug in somewhere, serve. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It can be something so small, but, 
really, when you pursue ministry together and be part of that, that's when true, here's a churchy word for you, fellowship happens, right? So I think it's the only place we use that word is in church. Really, it just means two fellows in the same ship going the same direction because they're rowing the same way. And you can't really have that until you're serving, until you're going about God's mission together. And there's encouragement in it, even though sometimes it is often really hard, really hard. Following Jesus is hard for that matter, let alone doing ministry, which is all the more reason we need to gather and encourage one another. We need each other to to spur one another on. I mean, because Paul and his opposition, they opposed him, they reviled him. Eventually, look at how far it gets. He goes, Luke writes, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. He's like, he shakes out his garments like I don't want anything of you uh, following me around. Like I'm done, I've done everything I can. My conscience is clear, it's on you now. And he kind of writes them off and moves on. Um, And sometimes it gets to that point, doesn't it? With people. And in ministry, it does. And sometimes it's okay to move on, but be sure, like Paul, like you, you, you get to the point your conscience is clear, you've done what you can, and then go on. That's okay. So you're having a, you know, gospel conversations with people, trying to share God's story and share your story and interact. It's okay at times to move on. That, there's seasons of life. It happens. But notice, Paul isn't quitting He's just moving on. Because sometimes our temptation is just to quit in those moments and be done. But Paul doesn't quit the mission. Uh, From now on, he said, I'm going to the Gentiles. And so he left there, he left the synagogue, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Evidently, uh, this is one of the few guys, by the way, we get their first and last names, Titius Justus. And uh, he evidently was a follower of Jesus and He was responsive, becomes a follower of Jesus. He was responsive to Paul's teaching, so he goes to him. Now you might be thinking, okay, well then, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna go do my thing, and I'm gonna go do it far away. That's probably what Paul did, right? I mean, it's a huge city. Clearly, he just took off and went a long ways away, didn't he? The, The reality is, to go about living out God's mission, you don't have to go far. You don't have to go far at all. I mean, Paul didn't go far. Check it out, look at the next line. I think this is actually really kind of funny. He shakes out everything in the synagogue and then he takes off to the house of Titius to go uh, share the gospel with him. And then we get this little footnote. Oh, by the way, his house was right next door to the synagogue. <laughs> Paul's like, forget you guys, I'm out of here. And he walks out, walks a couple feet, turns around, comes back inside. He doesn't go too far. You know, for, for you and I, uh, if you're thinking like, who would God send me to on mission than to love? You don't have to look too far. You really don't. See, our mission, right, as a church, so there's encouragement from doing it together, is that we're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. We're sent to do that. There's encouragement. So well, who am I sent to love then? You ever wonder that? Like, who could I go to? Who should I talk to? A friend of mine uses a list that he calls uh, a Frank list. Now, I'll explain here in a second. 
But basically, it's just the people that uh, he's close to, that God's put him in close proximity to. And it's an acronym to think through who are those people and how could I pray for them? It's a list of people that I'm sent to love. And you'll notice they're not too far from one another. It's your friends. Who are some of your friends? You're sent to them. You're like, ah, they would never be interested. Hold on, we'll get to you here in the next verse. Uh, or maybe your relatives. It could be people you live with right now. Maybe uh, your acquaintances, just people you kind of know. Um, your neighbors. You can just go next door like Paul did. Your coworkers. I wonder how many times Paul shared the gospel while he's working on a tent, just standing there talking to somebody while he's working. Make, make your list, start praying for him. Who, these are people God has sent you to. And just spark your thoughts. You don't have to go far to serve the Lord. In fact, um, you might think, well, yeah, but they're never, they're never gonna change. And you're kind of like, Paul, you just have, you've kind of written them off. Well, check this out. Verse eight, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. By the way, Crispus, uh, we've got a couple, we've got two couples in our life group right now that are expecting and they haven't named their kids yet. I would commend the name Crispus. <laughs> there you go. It's biblical. Don't you guys agree? Crispus that has a good ring to it. All right, maybe not. Don't, don't look to me for names. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. All I can think of is Cookie Crisp when I see his name. But he was the ruler of the synagogue. Remember the people? I wonder if he was there when Paul goes, shakes off his garments. I'm done. He goes next door. But now we read this guy believed in the Lord. He came to faith. Paul might have written him off, but guess who didn't? Jesus didn't. And you never know what God might do. You never know. He believed in the Lord together with his whole household. By the way, ruler of the synagogue just means he held some kind of an office there locally in the synagogue of leadership. And many of the Corinthians learning or hearing Paul, excuse me, believed and were baptized. What a great encouragement from going about mission together. Paul had from each other. He had from doing ministry and then last, but certainly not least, Paul had encouragement and we can have encouragement from Jesus himself as we go about those things, as we pursue one another, as we pursue ministry together. Jesus encourages us. Look at how he encourages Paul in verse nine. We read this, uh, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid. I wonder if Paul kind of hit the wall to some degree where there was some fear for him. Oh man, I just had that big conflict again in the synagogue. I bet it's all gonna go down like it did last time. I bet they're coming for me. I wonder if he had some fear. I, I kind of think he might have because Jesus told him, don't be afraid. But go on speaking don't be silent. And then look at this, for I am with you. I'm with you. You know, that's a similar promise to one that Jesus makes to all of us. In fact, it's the same promise. 
in Matthew chapter uh, 28, in the great commission, the great mission for all of us to go and make disciples of all nations, to go have gospel conversations with everybody on your Frank list as the doors open. Behold, don't forget, pay attention. I'm with you always as you do that. I'm with you when you go about those things. I'm with you always means I'm with you the whole of every moment. Like to be encouraged by Jesus himself, part of that means just trusting him in faith and doing what he's told us to do. And he'll encourage us. I'm with you always, he says. And that's the promise he makes here to Paul in that vision. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. And the best part of Jesus making promises is that unlike all of us in this room, he keeps every promise he makes. Everyone. He keeps his promises. Well, let's just do a little exercise then as we finish up our passage for the morning. And let's see what promises Jesus makes to Paul and how he keeps them. You good with that? Let's read again here and just mark some of the promises. First, uh, don't be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent. There's the first one in verse 10, for I am with you. Okay, we've seen that one already. But did you notice there's a second promise? We didn't read this yet. He said, I'm with you. And Paul, you don't need to be afraid because no one will attack you to harm you. No one will attack you to harm you. That had to be a relief to Paul because like almost everywhere else he's been, that's exactly what happens. After the conflict in the synagogue, then people are out to attack him and harm him. But Jesus says, for here's the deal. I have many in this city who are my people. And so Jesus doesn't just make some promises. He gives a command to Paul. He gives a command. He says, uh, besides don't be afraid, keep on speaking and don't be silent. Don't go anywhere, Paul. Don't, don't cower away. Take some initiative. Keep, keep going. I'm with you. That I have so many people in this city who are mine that need to hear from you. You know, I think he'd say the same to us. I really do. I know he would. That, hey, don't, don't quit. Maybe there's people you've written off. I haven't written off. Keep praying. Keep trusting. I have many all throughout Wawasee, all throughout Elkhart and Kosciuszko and Noble County that are my people. They need to hear from you. Don't be silent. Don't be afraid. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 11, he, Paul, stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. All right, ding, we got one, right? Paul kept up his end of the bargain. Jesus said, hey, keep speaking, don't quit, keep going. Paul did it. Sweet. All right, now let's see how Jesus does on his end, on his promises. Verse 12 uh, starts like this. But... That doesn't sound good. 
Paul kept up his end. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, so kind of like the governor of that region where Corinth was, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Hold on, what gives? Didn't Jesus promise him? I mean, let's go back and look. Yeah, right here. No one will attack you, Paul, to harm you. Yet when I'm reading in verse 12, I read, they made a united attack on Paul. What gives? How did that happen? I thought Jesus kept all his promises, Josh. Well, two things. One, the promise was not to harm him. So we got to keep reading. And two, I would just say, hey, I do believe and we know from scripture that Jesus does keep all his promises. So it must not be the end of the story yet. Let's keep reading. Here's another but. Let's hope this is a good one. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, he was about to defend himself. Galileo said to the Jews, hey, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, oh Jews, then I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions of words and names in your own law, just see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge on these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. Whoa, yes. Jesus kept his promise. He was with Paul and he didn't allow him to be attacked and hurt. Now the promise to be with us is a promise to all of us, right? That's back in Matthew. But that promise not to be attacked was a promise in this specific case to one specific person, Paul, because uh, look at the next verse. So they came out and they seized Sosthenes, another ruler of the synagogue. And unfortunately, he didn't have that same promise. <laughs> Bummer for him. He got, that's, sorry, that's kind of glossing over it. They beat him in front of the tribunal though. And Galileo paid no attention. But Jesus kept his promise to Paul. And he keeps his promise to us to be with us as we go about his mission and as we encourage one another. As we wrap up, look at these verses. Psalm 145. For your kingdom, Lord, is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. Do you believe that? Maybe you find yourself in a spot today too where you, again, you need some encouragement. You need it from other people. You need it from Jesus himself. You're like, I thought he promised to be with me. It doesn't feel like he's with me. You know, Jesus knows what it is like to not feel like God is with you. On the cross, he says to the father, why have you forsaken me? He gets it, he knows. But if it doesn't feel like it, maybe there's still part of the story left to play out. And I would contend there is. 
because the Lord always keeps his promises. And then look at this verse also from Hebrews. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm our confidence that God, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Friends, let me encourage you. God keeps his promises. Jesus does. And by the way, do you know one way we can be encouraged by God's promises? One way we can do this and hold tightly to our hope? Well, let's look again at a couple of verses we looked at earlier, which are, happen to be the next two verses in Hebrews. So let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. As some people do, but encourage one another. And all the more as the day of his return draws near. Let me pray.